If you're looking for your next new truck, trust Rush Truck Centers, the nation's largest commercial vehicle dealer network. Rush Truck Centers has trucks in stock throughout the country, including heavy, medium, and light-duty work vehicles. Plus, they offer a wide range of programs that help coordinate, monitor, and expedite vehicle service and repairs throughout their qualified service facilities. Check out their online inventory today at RushTruckCenters.com. That's RushTruckCenters.com. Expect more from Rush Truck Centers. Please speak to your Rush Truck Centers representative for further details. Hey, everybody. Let me talk to you here for a second. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Here, let me explain real quick. First off, it's free. That is the best word in the English language. Free. There's also a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much, much more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. That's big. I mean, huge for brand new podcasters. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Just download the free Anchor app or go to anchorfm.com to get started. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. This is the main event, Mark's Podcast Bonus Edition, now on the Unhinged Network. I'm your first host, former radio guy, lifelong wrestling fan, and cat dad, I am Troy. And my special guest co-host today, he is from the Curtain Jerkin' Podcast on WrestlingWithWrestling.com. He is the Judy Martin to my Leilani Kai. He is the (laughs) glamour guy of Jacob Grandi. What's up, man? How's it going, guys? I'm doing all right this morning. Friday morning, got my cup of coffee, ready to talk some wrestling. Yeah, that's always a great way to start and or end the week for, you know, now, now that Wednesdays are a hot property in wrestling, you know, it's a good way to uh, get you through the week as well. But before we get started here, I want to let everyone know that Main Event Marks is sponsored by Fubo TV and Fanatics. If you're a real sports fan, you're going to want to click on the links down in the show description. But uh, getting back to the uh, subject at hand here. This is the very first Royal Rumble, man. You and I have kind of stuck with this theme of reviewing firsts. We did the first SummerSlam, the first Survivor Series, and now, uh, you know, this it kind of lines up because this was the first it, – it's not a pay-per-view, but it's like the first what would become a pay-per-view – after Survivor Series, which we just recorded. Yeah, it was pretty nice uh, in that regard to kind of keep up with uh, everything that was going on at the time, um, especially, I mean, the Jumping Bomb Angels. I got to say, it was cool to see them back. Yeah, uh, Uncle Dave had some had some nice things and not nice things to say about him. Uh, for those that don't know Uncle Dave, I'm referring to Dave Meltzer. 
and I, I just, I always call him Uncle Dave on the show, kind of as like a, I don't know, some, some people are like, oh, well, that's just the, you're, you're trying to insult him. It's like, I mean, it, it's kind of a backhanded, like, nickname, whatever, kind of mocking him. But at the same time, I think the Young Bucks were the first people to call him Uncle Dave, as far as I know. Either way, you can take it as a term of endearment or a uh, term of, you know, I'm, I'm mocking him. Uh, you know, either way. But, uh, yeah, the Royal Rumble 80, er, 1988, this was two years before I was even born, or I should say two years and nine months before I was born. I mean, we're not going to get into the overall, like, running down everything we thought of it, but, I mean, just real quick, do you think it holds up? Yeah, I think so. I think that's something cool about these uh, Royal Rumble shows, even if there's not a lot of good in-ring. But I think there was some good in-ring on this show. Um, it shows you, like, the roster at the time. Um, you know, it kind of a big overview of, like, the feuds going on. So I think any time you can go back and watch any of the Rumbles, it's a, a better watch than going back and watching, you know, a Backlash or a King of the Ring or something because you really see every person who – means anything in the WWF at the time. So uh, I always enjoyed going back and watching some rumbles. Yeah, I I will say I do. If people go back on Wednesday, our latest weekly podcast this week, we just dropped Royal Rumble 2000. And uh, two weeks ago, we uh, released Royal Rumble 1990, which was the first of two in a row uh, that Hulk Hogan won. And I think both of those, even though the Rumble 1990 wasn't spectacular, it was, at that point, it had uh, been two years in a row. It had been an actual pay-per-view, and it was pretty good. And I feel like Royal Rumble 2000 was probably one of the best they ever had. Just And again, you know, not every match on the card was a banger, but I feel like it, it held up 20 years later. Uh, this one... I don't know, 32 years old, and it just, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, and there's some stuff to talk about on it. Are you ready to uh, get into some news and notes here? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about all the news and notes from the time of the show itself. Follow the Main Event Marks at Facebook.com forward slash Main Event Marks pod, on Twitter at Main Event underscore Marks, and on Instagram at Main Event underscore Marks, and at Main Event Collector. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Main event marks are available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Now back to the show. All right, now that we're back, before we get into the news and notes, make sure that you visit unhingedsn.com to hear us every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's U-N-H-I-N-G-E-D-S-N.com. All right, news and notes from January of 1988. First of all, did you know this was competing like the the actual reason this show existed was to compete with jim crockett promotions on pay-per-view um i didn't know that but i know that was kind of like the uh, mission operation at the time with some of these shows like you know survivor series airing on thanksgiving and things like that 
Yeah, yeah. How we had talked about um, Survivor Series, and if people have not went back and listened to our Survivor Series 1987 show, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that. It'll uh, kind of show you because okay, that happened in late November, and this was uh, uh, mid January, late January. So um, you know it, that kind of shows you where things have, have went, and things didn't drastically change in wrestling at this time between, you know, like a, in a two month period. So, uh, but yeah, the, we talked about how survivor series, the entire reason it was created and put on pay-per-view was to compete with, uh, Jim Crockett's biggest show of the year, Starcade. Well, this was put on free TV to compete with the bunkhouse stampede, which was the second ever pay-per-view that Jim Crockett was trying. And right here, the NWA's second attempt at pay-per-view bunkhouse stampede would be on the night after Vince McMahon counter-programmed Survivor Series on pay-per-view against Starcade, or would be on this night rather uh, after Vince McMahon counter-programmed Survivor Series against Starcade. Uh, this time, however, McMahon brought his opposition to Basic Cable, making it even more accessible than pay-per-view. And Jim Crockett actually reversed this with. Uh, WrestleMania 4 being counter-programmed on free TV by Clash of the Champions 1. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was, that was uh, for people that don't remember, the only thing I remember off that card was Sting versus Flair. I think they went to a 45-minute draw, something like that. But yeah, that I think was, they had uh, they had the judges, I think, was the deal for that one. That match uh, is awesome. There was a... A WCW All-Nighter in 1995 that was on TBS that I had recorded on VHS. And that match was on that All-Nighter show. Um, it was like for New Year's Eve going into 1995. And I just remember that match um, well in my brain. And I remember WrestleMania 4 really sucking. So the fact that those were <laughs> people chose to watch WrestleMania 4 instead of that match that night is insane. Yeah, and... And the appeal of the clash besides that was one, it was on a bigger network than most because it was on TBS. And also it was free to watch, whereas you had to pay and go through all the the annoyances of pay-per-view in 1988, which we talked about before, you know, to get pay-per-view back in 88, you know, you had to physically go to the cable station, pick up the equipment, bring it back, order the show. It, it was a whole ordeal. And that's pretty interesting because that's uh, the Clash of the Champions stayed on free TV like until I think 2000. And then nowadays you got like NXT and AEW competing over these special branded uh, TV events. So in a way, it's kind of like uh, that WrestleMania 4 Clash of Champions 1989 uh, ordeal kind of like paved the way to still what we see today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe the last Clash of the Champions, I think they shut it down early 97 because i think oh, yeah because at that time they were really focusing hard on nitro being the show and clash of the champions kind of got pushed aside so it was it almost felt like that's eh, just another show but there were th three different starting times for the bunkhouse stampede the one they told the pay-per-view company which was 9 p.m eastern the one they printed on the tickets which was 8 p.m eastern and the time they actually started the show, which was 7 p.m. Eastern. In addition, they forgot to book a full three hours of satellite time. So for many viewers, the show just ended 20 minutes early. Oh, yeah, this was not well planned 
by Jim Crockett Promotions. This was, um, there was just a lot of uh, crap around the show. I mean, besides the fact that WWE was on free television at this time, I mean, and people didn't know it was going to be a disaster just, you know, going into it. But I mean, it's, it's, why it's easy to see why they would have failed. Speaking of uh, the show, one last note from it was uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede was a battle royal variation in its own right that took place inside of a steel cage where it's kind of a weird concept. The way to eliminate a person is to walk them up the cage and kind of throw them over the top of the cage to the outside. It was much more dangerous and hard to do. Uh, but Dusty Rhodes was victorious, repeatedly to the disdain of his fellow wrestlers, most notably Tully Blanchard. And the event was largely considered a major flop. NWA crowds were actually getting downright hostile when Dusty won, with an Nassau crowd chanting refund on live pay-per-view when Dusty won the thing. Damn, that's a, uh, I mean, Flair was the man. Flair was cool, and I think if you have that cool of a heel, and you keep a guy on top for that long, I mean... It only makes sense for people just to, uh, you know, want to see something new, especially if that's something new is, you know, staring them in the face. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Dave actually talked about it at this time where he's like, I don't understand why they don't sweat because the crowd was starting to turn on Dusty. And he said, I don't understand why they don't switch them, make Dusty heel and make Flair the face. He said, you know, it would make more sense considering Flair's getting a lot of cheers and Dusty is not. But, you know, Dusty insisted he was the face and he was going to, you know, stick to his guns. So it was like a Roman Reigns situation. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this a lot uh, throughout the years. You know, uh, Hogan, right before he went to uh, WCW, Cena, of course, has kind of defined his career. Roman Reigns. Um, And we've seen with Roman Reigns, if you do switch it, it it does work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because people shouted and screamed and cried for Roman Reigns to be healed for all these years. And then they finally did it for whatever reason. And it works. And like everybody freaking loves it. I don't think his merchandise sales have slowed down at all. People still love him. So I don't know. And I think it's revitalized his career. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And the final deciding factor here is the rumble outdrew stampede 18,000 to 7,000. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Over 11,000 people more at the, at the Royal rumble than we're at the stampede. Keep in mind, this was, you know, the bunk house stampede, which I'm sure to you, you think the same thing I think with that, where it's a, you know, that's a, a Southern fried, good old boy kind of stipulation. I mean, you literally got a bronze boot trophy when you won. So where do they have it? In Nassau, New York. (laughs) Yeah, Crockett was definitely spreading out too thin during this time. Uh, And plus, they, you know, they were flying everyone around too. So they definitely were just bleeding money at this point. I just don't understand like, you know, I, I get why Dusty wanted to book this. And, you know, because this was right up his alley and just all this stuff. I, I, I understand why JCP would, would host this show, why Dusty would book it, why they would have it. But why are you having it in New York of all the places? It seemed like it was destined to fail. 
Do you think that uh, the location of the show is maybe a bit of the reason why uh, Vince kind of did this rumble, like kind of took, you know, put this on free television? If it was in the South, I guarantee you he wouldn't have felt as uh, obligated to uh, counter-program. I think he definitely he definitely would have counter-programmed it because at this time he was like, well, he's trying to get into what Vince felt was his territory and his alone with uh, pay-per-view because he was the innovator of wrestling on pay-per-view. But yeah, I think that added to some of the fury was like, you know, Hey, you're trying to run in my backyard. But at the same time, I think he, in the back of his mind, he kind of knew it's like, they're not going to do anything here. And they didn't. So, I I mean, JCP was a, it was a competitor sort of to WWE. It was the closest thing they had to a competitor. But they were not drawing the numbers, especially in 88. Thinking of this, though, it reminded me of a Jim Cornette thing where he said uh, there's a dinner theater show in Tennessee called the Dixie Stampede. And he was going to go with some friends. And he's like, oh, where are we heading? And they said, oh, Dixie Stampede. He's like, Dixie Stampede? Dusty's going to win it. (laughs) Uh, Say what uh, you will about Cornette, but he does uh, does crack me up. Oh, yeah, he's still hilarious at times. When when he's not going full off the rails nuts, yeah, he he could be funny. Uh, The Rock and Roll Express actually quit JCP right before the Bunkhouse Stampede because their push was totally derailed. Yeah, Dave was thinking that, you know, their career was pretty much on the downslope at this point, which kind of was, but this was not the last we'd see of uh, the Rock and Roll Express on a large stage. Speaking of uh, large stages not here in the United States, Big Van Vader debuted in New Japan at this point, squashing Antonio Inoki in a total shock. Uncle Dave remembers him as Leon White in the AWA, and he craps all over him, saying it. He has no heat, and nobody cares about him. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dave is right a lot of the time, but it seems like he's wrong about you know the the uh, Midnight Express and Vader here. You know, I guess you can't hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, yeah, I mean, maybe at the time too. Like you got to look, Vader's just some big guy. You, you're probably comparing him to Stan Hansen, um, and he as good as Vader was, he was no Stan Hansen. So uh, I yeah. think maybe. Uh, through the lens of the time, I can see why someone would say something like that. Yeah, he said, well, he's being pushed harder than Brody and Hanson ever were, you know, like debuting here. And he doesn't have the body for it. Nobody cares about him. It's like he was he became one of the biggest stars in all of Japan for yeah, a doesn't long have the body. time. Have you seen Hanson? I mean, shit. <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, I mean, yeah, Vader's like always been fat, but. Like, Stan Hansen was, like, the most... I mean, he he looked like a guy you wouldn't want to go up against at a bar, but, I mean, it's not like he was physically impressive stepping into a wrestling ring. This is I, true, yeah. I heard that, like, uh, the reason he's so stiff is because he really uh, uh, can't see that well. So he really had yeah. to, like, lay it in there just to make sure that the guy would fall down, make sure he actually connected at all. And interesting enough, Shibata, very stiff as well, similar situation. Like, he, uh, you know needs uh, some glasses as well. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting between those two Japanese legends. Yeah, Hansen said that's that's actually why he... Uh, did you ever see that where he broke Vader's orbital bone and his eye popped out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he swung his... He, he carried that cowbell on a, on a bull rope, and he swung it, and he thought he was either just going to graze him or miss him. 
but he's damn near blind, so he cracked him right in the orbital bone and broke it. So, Before Rey Mysterio, there was Vader and Stan Hansen. Yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, that's another one. Jim Cornette calls him the blind potato master. Uh, getting on to Survivor Series here, some fallout from that, because this was back in the day where we didn't have pay-per-view numbers like within a week or two. Uh, but some fallout from it all these months later. Survivor Series 1987 was not going to sell out, but Vince obviously wanted his sellout on a, on a, his first pay-per-view debut with the show. So he basically gave away thousands of free tickets to, to uh, the Lions Club in Cleveland so he could fill the building with kids. Huh. So it was kind of like, on one hand, he's being a humanitarian. It's like, oh, you're giving these these kids free tickets to your show. That's really cool. And on the other hand, he's like, fill the seats, damn it. <laughs> I used to work at the uh, baseball stadium here in Greensboro, and anytime they had to do a makeup game or a day game, um, it would definitely be filled with uh, kids and uh, people from uh, retirement communities coming in. So uh, the uh, that promotional tactic is used all over America at minor league baseball parks. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's better than what WCW was doing, because according to Eric Bischoff, half the times when they were at center stage, uh, they, they would just like to fill the seats when they couldn't. They would just like let people in for free. He said half the times it would be a bum with their liquor bottle passed out in the seat. Huh. So, I mean, this is better than that. <laughs> some guy, he's not even a mark. He just wants some shelter. Yeah, right. A warm place to pass out with his with his wine. I'm a, I mean, I'm a mark for, uh, you know, water fountains and shelter, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, this next story, you know, with everything going on in, in the year 2021, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, people hold your trigger warning. It's a news story from 1988. The secret location, quote unquote, of WrestleMania 4 has been revealed. Trump Plaza in Atlantic City. And tickets for the event will go on sale soon, plus the best 2,000 will go to High Rollers to grease them. And if anybody's watched WrestleMania 4, besides the fact that the show is just kind of boring, you could tell is the first, like, two rows are filled up with people who were not really wrestling fans. They got them as comps from the casino. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't know that part, but like fast forward to today. I mean, what's old is new again. They're going to Saudi Arabia. You look at these first rows and they're just uh, people talking to one another, kind of uh, sitting in nice chairs. And then you uh, you got to go kind of to the uh, the upper deck to find the real fans. Yeah, right. And I guess they, they said, well, we quote unquote learned our lesson at WrestleMania five because. WrestleMania 4 and 5 were the only two WrestleManias in history that took place in the same venue back-to-back. And WrestleMania 5 at Trump Plaza, they did the same thing, but they gave out comp tickets, like, throughout the building and not filled the first couple rows with them. Because they said visually it looks stupid because, you know, it's just people, like, basically old white guys sitting around chatting with their trophy wives and whatever. And nobody's really cheering or caring. And the cheers are coming from, like, the back of the arena that you're not getting shots of the whole time. They kind of learned their lesson for WrestleMania Five, which in and of itself was not a good show either. But I still feel it was a step up from WrestleMania Four, which 
many consider one of the worst WrestleManias of all time. Uh, other than the main events, I would say WrestleMania really didn't become what WrestleMania is today until like WrestleMania 2000, maybe even 17, the first big arena show. I yeah, I'd say WrestleMania 14 was was really good. 13 was was decent. Uh, 12 was so so. Which one was the one with uh, Stone Cold and Brett? That one was pretty pretty solid. 13. Yeah. Uh, So I think they kind of got they kind of got the pieces of what's going to become WrestleMania with like you know Brett and Sean and you know Brett and Stone Cold, but like it really was until like yeah like like. I guess like Stone Cold Brett or Brett or Stone Cold Rock that they really kind of was like got the ball rolling with the the whole spectacle it is today. I feel like WrestleMania eight was starting to get there. Uh, WrestleMania nine they tried but failed like that show sucked. Uh, WrestleMania ten I think was the first top to bottom great WrestleMania. And again, not every match on the show hit, but they tried. And I thought all in all it was a great, memorable WrestleMania uh, for more than just the main event. Uh, 11 sucked. 12, meh. I mean, it was okay. But yeah, like 13, it, it really consistently got going. Although, I will argue WrestleMania 15 sucked. Like, major ass. Was that the one where uh, Big Boss Man got, like, hung? Maybe. I don't, It was like no, a Hell in a Cell match with Undertaker and Big Boss Man. Yeah, I think that was, I, I want to say that was 16, but I could be wrong here. WrestleMania 15 was um, the first Stone Cold Rock match, and even that match wasn't good. Um, it was the first, but they literally just, like, Austin forgot his shirt, or I mean his, his vest, so he wore a shirt to the ring. The, they just kind of brawled throughout the arena. There was a million run-ins. You are right, 15 is the Hell in a Cell. Cool, yeah. cool. And it was Sable and Tori in a disaster of a five-minute match. And just, like, that was a lot of stuff. Uh, Butterbean, Bart Gun, you know, all that cool Oh, yeah, stuff. That, that was truly an Attitude Era WrestleMania, looking back at that. It definitely was. Uh, last story I got here. Uh, at the same time that the WWF ran the Royal Rumble in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, they held another event in Halifax, Nova Scotia, on Canada's eastern seaboard. The main event saw the Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man, defeat the Macho Man Randy Savage via disqualification. Other notable participants on that card included Brutus the Effin Barber Beefcake, which is his legal name on his driver's license. Uh, <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine, Ken Patera, Demolition, the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers, and Coco Beware. This card didn't suck, like, as far as talent, but I'm looking at some of the names they had on that other card, and I'm like, damn, if they would have, like, switched the people from one card to the other, I'd have been fine with it. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, if you're going to do a main event that's not the Royal Rumble, it makes sense to do the Intercontinental title match, I would say. Uh, And then have, like, one of the Islanders in the Rumble or something like that. Um, But, you know, Vince had the book. According to Bruce Pritchard, this was not the original plan for the show. It was they they knew we were going to have something on USA to uh, counter program uh, the bunkhouse stampede. We've already got buildings booked in Canada. Uh, so what are we going to do? And I guess they sat with Dick Ebersol and was kind of like bouncing ideas off of him. And the first card they had, he kind of wrinkled up his nose like, yeah, that sucks. That's not going to go over well. And 
Pat, uh, Pat Patterson actually had an idea based on battle royals they used to do in San Francisco when he wrestled there years ago. And he kind of had the idea based off of that, which was the Royal Rumble, basically. And Dick Ebersol was like, that'll be great on TV with the countdown clock and all that stuff. He's like, that'd make for great drama. He's like, that's your main event right there. So they kind of just fell into it. And allegedly Vince McMahon thought the idea was stupid until Dick Ebersol said he liked it. And then he's like, all right, we'll go with it. So now, now it's become a thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's the uh, the quick thing there. And Pat Patterson, by the way, booked the Royal Rumble match all by himself. Vince just told him, he's like, go book your match, Patrick. You know, it, it, you, it's, it's all yours. So there you go. The nice old factoid for you. And now that he's mm-hmm. passed away, I think they should do like a memorial thing to him in the Rumble. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. They said that he uh, that his that original concept came from like the territories on the West Coast that he was from. And yeah. uh, but they would be like 10 guys, max this 30 guy. And then the then the Royal Rumble leading to WrestleMania every year. I mean, I can't think of wrestling without it. I mean, honestly, yeah. so uh, he needs uh, maybe name it after him. And just whenever you're going through the uh, the rules of the Royal Rumble, just call it its full name the pat patterson memorial royal rumble or something like that yeah or you know and like and he pitched years ago he was like well maybe they should have like uh you know it's like well way to you know kind of very horowitz yourself there but it's like it's like oh maybe they should have a trophy you know like the pat patterson memorial cup or something it's like yeah i i mean why not because for the longest time the first few rumbles it was just a match for bragging rights. There wasn't really anything to it. It wasn't until 1992 where the winner actually got something, and that was for the for the championship itself. And then in 93, that was the first time where the winner got the match at WrestleMania, and Yokozuna won it. So mm-hmm. this, um, yeah, I mean, the old battle royals, like big, like 10, 15, 20, 25-man battle royals, was a, were a big staple in the territories, but they were always for like cash prizes or, or something like. So this one was just kind of a match. But we'll get into it. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into Royal Rumble 1988. Follow the main event marks at facebook.com forward slash main event marks pod on Twitter at main event underscore marks and on Instagram at main event underscore marks and at main event collector. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. The main event marks are available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. But before we dive into the event at hand, make sure you visit unhingedsn.com to hear us every Wednesday at 8 p.m. That's U-N-H-I-N-G-E-D-S-N dot com. All right, Royal Rumble 1988. It's the first one, so I'll say that. Uh, it took place January 24th, 1988 at the Cops Coliseum 
in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The attendance was 18,000 even, and the, the that was a sellout, I believe. The TV rating was a massive 8.2. For those that don't realize what 8.2 means, that means that an that uh, 8% of American households were tuned in to watch this. That's a massive number. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. I know the NBA Finals game uh, game six got a 5-9 this year, so that says something. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I had heard this was like the lowest rated finals in history, uh, but I didn't know what that was compared to. So, Man, can you imagine if wrestling, if anything in professional wrestling could pull on 8.2? In 2021, huh. I, I, I think it, I, I cannot imagine. I think it would have to be like the promise of The Rock coming back after a big NFL game, and then the number would still drop. Right? Yeah. I mean, they had I, they had NBA leading into AEW with the massive NBA numbers, and as soon as wrestling came on, you know, most of the people went click. So, and it didn't matter what AEW put on; they could have had, you know the biggest show in the history of professional wrestling ever put together in most perfectly booked and they still would have turned it off. So the only thing we got on Twitter after that was, man, is that Jericho? Why is he fat? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I saw as well. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, quick Royal rumble fact here on October 4th, 1987 WWF actually held a Royal rumble dry run in St. Louis, Missouri. It was at a house show. So it kind of doesn't count. But the first ever WWF-branded Royal Rumble match is that one. The original Royal Rumble had less than 20 entrants. Uh, They didn't officially say if it was 12 or 14, but it's one of them. And it was won by the one-man gang who eliminated the Junkyard Dog last and got a house show heavyweight title match against Hulk Hogan the next time they were in town. So there you go. Bruce Pritchard said the reason that one failed so badly was because they didn't really explain that they didn't do all the pomp and circumstance for the house show crowd. They didn't really explain the rules all that much. They didn't have the countdown clock where anybody could see it. It was just constant, you know, a steady stream of guys running into the ring. And even the guys in the match didn't fully understand everything. They were like, uh, so I run in and throw people out. All right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys in this match didn't uh, didn't understand it as well. Well, you know what uh, Doc Gallows refers to a battle royal as, right? No, what's that? He calls it exchanging forearms with the Good Brothers. <laughs> because this is he, true. Yeah, he said that's basically all it is. He's like, if you watch most battle royals, it's just guys forearming and and kicking each other for however long. But to start the show here, Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura are on the call for this one. I had to write this down. Jesse is wearing zebra pants, a blue and white tie-dye shirt, a white sports coat, a black feather boa, and a white crocodile Dundee-style hat. Oh, yeah. Looking sharp as always. <laughs> Just the most ridiculous effing outfit of all time. And that's including what the hell Hulk Hogan's wearing later that we'll get to. I think I think Hogan and Jesse were wearing like each other's because cl- like Hogan's pants would have matched perfectly with Jesse's shirt. But we'll get into that one. <laughs> uh, Rick Rude's theme is playing throughout the entire like arena to open the show. So I thought this was the Royal Rumble theme. I was like, 
Is that the original theme for the Royal Rumble? Because that sucks. <laughs> but no, it's Rick, Rick Rude was standing in the ring while they're playing his theme to start the show. And I was like, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, this opening match is Ravishing Rick Rude versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It went for 16 minutes and 40 seconds. A woman in the crowd managed to get a bullhorn in, and she keeps screaming stuff throughout this match. Oh, I definitely saw that. I wrote that down in my notes. Uh, the bullhorn and the uh, the megaphone, things you would not see today, things you wouldn't see 10 years ago. Um, I guess uh, security was a little lax here at the uh, Caps Coliseum. Yeah, like, uh, wait, what? Like, I was that allowed back in the day? Because if so, why? This was, like, so distracting and annoying. And, and if, luckily, it was, if it was allowed, I'm surprised there was only one of them in there. Right. I mean, I don't know, I'm glad that she didn't keep this because I was like, oh, my gosh, she keeps this up throughout the whole night. I'm going to, like, bash my head on the wall. But luckily she didn't. I think she stopped after this match. But, yeah, uh, I, I was texting uh, other normal co-host of the show, Greg, I was texting him during this, uh, this match. And I, I said, my theory is, uh, she seduced Jimmy Hart in the back and, uh, stole his megaphone. And he was a little too, uh, too embarrassed to tell anybody. So they just let it go. But anyway, uh, there was a ton of rest holes in this. This was Bruce Pritchard described this as they were wrestling a house show match, not a TV match. Just rest hold after rest hold. Rick Rude pulls a ref in the way of a top rope cross body from Ricky Steamboat. And then he locks in the body breaker. It's not what he called it, but that was Jesse Ventura's finisher. Uh, the referee wakes up. He calls for the bell. Rude's music hits. And he starts to leave thinking he won. However, the referee has disqualified him, giving the win to Steamboat. Uncle Dave, this was very old school. Oh, yeah, uh, I love it. Yeah, uh, Uncle Dave said, dull match, surprising lack of heat for those two, or for two supposed main eventers. Both of us gave it two stars. What say you? Uh, I guess I'm a softie here. I, I would definitely say two and a half. Uh, curtain, it was a great curtain jerker. Uh, Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat in there tying it up. I know they were just changing rest, rest, rest holds, but I mean, you saw uh, Ricky Steamboat skin the cat here, come back in the ring, and that was the first skin the cat that would happen at any Royal Rumble. And that's how people usually win the Royal Rumble. So I think it was historic to see, uh, not only because of the people in it, but also because of the first ever skin the cat in Royal Rumble history right here in the first match in Royal Rumble history. And I can always count on you for, for good notes on the, on the curtain jerker of, of the night. So, and if you want to hear more like that, definitely look up uh, curtain jerkin by uh, Jacob Grandi. Is that on podcast form or is it youtube oh what? it's everywhere you can if you go to a wrestling with wrestling.com or the dragon suplex podcasting network you can find it on spotify youtube and a few other places but uh spotify and youtube are the places that i uh i promote it nice yeah so definitely go check that out i will uh tag him in the social media posts as well so follow all things jacob grandi but yeah, moving on to the night, uh, me, Gene Okerlund, and Jesse Ventura are on a platform stage in the middle of a crowd. They always used to do this back in the day. And they were preparing for Dino Bravo to attempt to break the bench press world record of 705 pounds. Yikes. 
Uh, Dino Bravo comes out and says that it's a big record, but he's confident he can do it. His manager, Frenchie Martin, then cuts a promo in French. <laughs> this was a thing. I know that was his gimmick. Bruce Pritchard actually complained about this because he said, you know, Frenchie Martin actually was a good promo, which is why we threw him with Dino, who is not a good promo, but he refused to speak in English. So kind of negated the whole thing. Uh, Jesse Ventura explains to everyone why Bravo is putting powder on the bar and his gloves and all that, just kind of running down thing by thing. Dino then says that he requires total silence for his concentration. He requests that everyone in the crowd shut up. So you know what that means. Everybody starts booing and getting loud. Jesse then spots for Dino, who warms up with 415 pounds. You know, that's my average. <laughs> he requests an additional 90 pounds to be added. Dino then repeatedly bench presses 505 pounds. They bump the weight up to 555, which he benches with ease. Dino complains about the crowd noise multiple times before finally benching 595 three times. They up the weight to 655, which he bench presses once. And this is Bruce Pritchard kind of let everybody in behind the curtain and said, you know, some of the weights were dummy weights, you know, in case he couldn't do it. And he said, we knew we were in trouble when he had a difficult time lifting 655, which was not a legit 655. So <laughs> we had to up the weight. So uh, Frenchie Martin and Dino Bravo both speak French to mean Gene before Jesse says that they've officially upped the weight to 715 plus whatever the weight of the bar is, which will have to be weighed later. Apparently the crowd is too loud, so Dino storms off. Ventura chastises the crowd as Frenchie Martin talks Dino into coming back and trying their record. And finally, with an assist from spotter Jesse Ventura, Dino Bravo lifts the 715 pounds. And this was a thing throughout the entire night because you can see Jesse helping him lift it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's uh, uh, obvious. I guess they edit out of the network because I... I mean, obviously, I didn't watch it live. I've never seen it on VHS, so I don't know what it was. But according to Bruce Pritchard, he said, well, they must have edited it out because, like, in the actual version, Vince is laughing his ass off and going, oh, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He failed. He failed. He couldn't do it. <laughs> and he said, I thought that was the best part of the whole segment, and they cut it out. Uh, but what do you think of the segment overall? I thought it was uh, very slow. Um, very dull, but it did rile up the live crowd, which is kind of why you put it right here. And you wanted to rile up the live crowd because you knew Hogan was coming out. So uh, it's kind of like you bring him up. Uh, and unfortunately, I, by design, I think you kind of bring him down with the uh, women's tag only to kind of bring him up like an inhale, exhale thing. So as far as uh, working a crowd, I think it's perfect. But uh, I can't really watch Dino Bravo without thinking of Dark Side of the Ring and then Jesse Ventura right. with his uh, conspiracy theories. So I was just thinking like the characters in the uh, in this uh, really just kind of make me think about all the things they did after 1988. What's funny is, you know, you brought up Ventura and the conspiracy theories, and here he's calling Vince McMahon a conspiracy theorist for, for claiming that Jesse helped him lift the whole weight. But yeah, the Dino Bravo episode was uh, it was great and sad all at the same time. Speaking of Dark Side of the Ring, uh, they have announced that they've officially got Stone Cold Steve Austin for the season three premiere of the show, which will be all on Brian Pillman. Oh, wow. Really? Damn. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Very much looking forward to that one. It's, 
I love that show. So it's uh, going to be something to something to watch. I think it comes out in the fall. I want to say, yeah. I don't know. This one, I felt like it. I felt the whole segment was like up, down, up, down, up, down, and then like at the end of it, the crowd was just like, "Well, that sucked." <laughs> and I guess yeah, yeah. It, kinda, it was kind of dull. It was kind of dull. Like uh, the show was short, but I think you could have just taken this segment out and it just made it a little shorter. Yeah, and I guess they they went over on their time for this segment too, so it made it oh, even worse. Yeah. And then and then the NWA to their credit goes, well, that sucked. We're going to do it with the Road Warriors in a couple weeks. <laughs> So, yeah, it, uh, but it was a little different with the Road Wars and the NWA. They actually set up an angle like they got attacked. They got hit with the weight. And then there was a stretcher job and everything. Right. Uh, I want to say yes, but I can't remember. I, I don't remember the exact angle. I'd have to go back. Uh, I, you're, you're more learned with uh, the old school J- JCP and, and whatnot, because that actually took part in uh, most of their history took place in your neck of the woods over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this next match, as you mentioned, is uh, it is a two out of three falls match for the WWF Ladies Wrestling Tag Team Championships. It is the defending champions of the Glamour Girls, Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, with the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. They're taking on the Jumping Bomb Angels, which are uh, Nario Tateno and Itsuke Yamasaki. I didn't mark which was which because I wasn't positive which Glamour Girl was which. Because they both had bleach blonde hair and wore the same outfit, and I didn't know which one of the bomb angels was who either. There's either defense. Yeah, he called them uh, the pink and red because that's what was on their freaking singlet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happens. Uh, and uh, I think Jesse Ventura really uh, n- like uh, kind of pushed the issue there, and he also asked him the question. So uh, I really think this was kind of a rib on Vince. Jesse knew he didn't know. And uh, asked him right away. So I thought that kind of cracked me up. Yeah. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with, uh, I, I've been referring to him a lot on the podcast here, but I, I don't exactly agree with Bruce Pritchard's opinion of this because, uh, but some of it I do in a way, uh, because Conrad had asked him, well, what, what did you think of the jumping bomb angels? He said, I, I wasn't as big a fan of them as other people. Uh, they were, they were all right in the ring, but he said, uh, I mean, their gimmick that anybody promoted was they're from Japan. It's like, okay, what else? They're Japanese. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so this match went for just shy of 15 and a half minutes. I'm pretty sure the, for some reason, Howard Finkel's announcement of the Jumping Bomb Angels was dubbed over. I, I don't know if you'd like the audio, just like, I, I'm an audio guy, so my ear kind of catches this stuff, and his audio just sounded like he was doing it in a studio, not over the house mic. So I don't know. Uh, that might be true. Well, uh, I got to say, Bruce Pritchard is ridiculous to bring up the fact that it, they were only Japanese. That was their gimmick. I mean, on the same show, I mean, think about the Glamour Girls. I mean, their gimmick is pretty much they're from Memphis. Like, they have Jimmy Hart there, uh, <laughs> and then you also have you also have the Islanders who, uh, you know, their gimmick was just that they're from Samoa, even though they're kind of from America. Uh, So I don't add that to the long list of things I disagree with Bruce Pritchard about. The only thing he did say, he was like, well, they can't, they couldn't speak English at all. So they didn't cut promos. They didn't really, I will say they didn't have much of a personality. Uh, But I mean, as far as their in-ring work, I thought they were great. 
But the personality thing, I think um, a lot of that issue lies with WWF. I mean, yeah, it was maybe you can blame them for not learning English, you know, when they're consistently wrestling in America. But WWF could have put like a manager with them or a valet or, you know, something. Uh, give them unique looking outfits so that you can tell them apart, you know, something. And in a case like this, I'm fine with the old Vince McMahon, like, oh, their, their name needs to be one word. Like, call them Tateno and Yamazaki. There you go. Yeah. I, got, I think it would have been a lot easier for people to remember. Uh, but the Bomb Angels start off hot with flying drop kicks. The Glamour Girls win the first fall with an alley-oop face buster to one of the Bomb Angels for a pin. The Bomb Angels take the second fall when one of them gets a sunset flip pin on the glamour one of the Glamour Girls. And the Bomb Angels end up winning the whole thing with a double missile drop kick for a pin. The old uh, Rock and Roll Express and Rocker finisher. Uncle Dave said, quote, match was good, but not great. And Tateno looks like she's been training with Buddy Rose as of late. Yikes. Yeah, ouch. Yeah. For those don't get the reference, Buddy Rose was very obese, and his whole gimmick was that he was obese. And so, ah, geez. I mean, I noticed one of them was a, like a little thicker than the other one, but I wouldn't have said either one of them was fat. I mean, just like, good lord. Yeah, I guess uh, Dave has a, a high standard for his ladies. And... and Greg's brought this up, too. He's like, well, you know, we could sit there and crap on him. But, I mean, if you ever look at Dave Meltzer, he's effing jacked. Yeah, that's, this is true. This is true. He's a fitness guy for sure. But he gave this match three stars. I didn't like it quite as much as him. I gave it two. What say you? I'd have to agree with uh, agree with Dave. I liked it a lot. The two out of three falls really helped the match. It was really easy for the crowd to pick up on, like, what's you know what was happening. And uh, just the... I mean, Jimmy Hart out there, and uh, yeah, I, I think every everyone involved with the match, all five people, the two tag teams and Jimmy Hart, really just were peak on their game. And you could see, like, a lot of the crowd really got won over there. Like, I saw, like, a few of the ladies in the crowd were jumping up and down, like, marking out just as much as they were for Hulk Hogan and things like that when they saw the Jumping Bomb Angels won. So that was, like, kind of, like, the first little uh, bit of a... Uh, of like, you know, like uh, kind of like the Becky Lynch pop, like, you know, they, they see it in the ring. They feel like they they feel empowered. So uh, it was it was nice, man. It was my favorite match other than the Rumble for sure. I Yeah, I mean, my two star rating, I, I, I might bump it to two and a half. I would say it's at least average. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a very good match. I, I've seen better out of the Jumping Bomb Angels. So maybe that's why I gave it such a like a lower rating. Like you said, it's probably the second best match on the card. So, But getting to the reason we're all really here, we are now showing a clip from WrestleMania 3 where Andre the Giant pinned Hulk Hogan, but Hogan kicked out at like two and three-fourths. And Pritchard himself was saying, because he wasn't working in WWF at the time, but he ordered WrestleMania 3, and he said he saw that and he thought to himself, oh, crap, they just switched the belt. Like he thought Andre won. And that wasn't supposed to happen, apparently, but it did happen, and they just ran with it. And I thought it was great serendipity right there, just kind of, it led to some great stuff with Andre and Hogan. But yeah, Andre and Bobby, uh, Bobby the Brain, he insists that 
Andre won. Hogan didn't kick out. We then see where Ted DiBiase tells Hogan he wants to buy the WWF title. And very un-white meat 80s baby face of him, Hogan says, hell no. Yeah. To this day, like in 2021, looking back at it, I was shocked that he went on like Hulk Hogan in 88 went on TV and said, hell no. But I mean, it was great. And it's a historic moment. But in a clip from a a recent Saturday Night's main event, Andre the Giant sneaks into the ring behind Hulk Hogan, headbutts him, then chokes him out. Later, Ted DiBiase asks Andre if he'll deliver the WWF title uh, to him, and Andre agrees to it. I really enjoyed the whole idea of like a million dollar man trying to buy the belt from Hogan and the suspense of uh, whether Hogan would do it. And then, yeah, like you said, mention, you know, mention in the hell no. And then the whole stalling with, uh, with Andre, just like kind of having to look over the, the contract and everything was just, was just great. A uh, great segment it made up for the, uh, the Dino Bravo shit from earlier. Yeah. And, uh, and what you're referring to will actually get into here with that segment. This was, this was the, the big thing that was going to take place on the show. Uh, we're in the ring with Mean Gene Okerlund and WWF President, Kayfabe President, Jack Tunney, uh, who are both moderating the t- contract signing between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Andre comes out flanked by Ted DiBiase, Virgil, the man who loves his meat sauce and his F money. Hogan comes out wearing, had to write down exactly what he was wearing too, a skin-tight sleeveless white shirt, blue and white tie-dye tights, white cowboy boots, and a white weight belt. <sighs> I like how Conrad brought up, he was like, so, like, this is just Hogan's normal wear, right? Like, are we going to see him walking down the aisle in Kroger, like, grocery shopping, wearing this? <laughs> and and Pritchard said, yes. He's like, this is, like, he walked through airports like this. Like, that's what he wore. And I'm like, my God. You got Hogan 24-7, especially in the 80s. I mean, come on. You'll never understand until you walk a mile in my red and yellow boots, brother. <laughs> it's just, this was, uh, I, I guess them cowboy boots worked for him, brother. Oh, for sure. I mean, you got to give credit to superstar Billy Graham, too. I mean, with Jesse Ventura and Hulk Hogan kind of biting his style. And it was, you know, the most ridiculous style of the whole show. So uh, it, you, you always oh, yeah. got to go back to uh, superstar Billy Graham with these, with these uh, style choices. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Ventura points out how the Canadian crowd is losing their mind while real American blares over the speakers. I didn't even think about it until he mentioned it. Uh, but Hogan sits at the table right away while Andre just stands there. He's got his hands in his pockets. He's bouncing back against the ropes. And Okerlund is basically begging him to sit down. He takes his sweet old time. Andre taunts Hogan a bit before finally sitting down. DiBiase grabs a mic to taunt Hogan, saying that he looks nervous. He's asking, why are you hesitating to sign the contract? And when DiBiase finally says that Andre really beat Hogan at WrestleMania 3, Hogan grabs a contract and angrily signs it. Andre now takes his time. He reads over the contract page by page, is dragging this out. DiBiase says he worked in some extra incentive money. And after about five minutes of reading, Andre finally signs the contract. And DiBiase tells Andre to put his official stamp of approval on it. Andre and Hogan stand up. DiBiase says, go ahead, put your stamp of approval on it. 
and Hogan lunges at DiBiase, but Andre grabs Hogan, slams his face into the table, then flips the table over on top of Hogan and leaves. I don't rate segments, but if I did, I'd give this five stars out of five. Let's see. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. Uh, it was great. I mean, yeah, you know, everyone out there, DiBiase, Andre, and Andre, I think, was the best component of it. Him, like, slowly looking over as if he's not, like, a, you know, a giant who could just destroy anyone, has to make sure that the negotiations are correct and everything like that, Even, especially knowing that he was, you know, probably getting paid off by a million-dollar man was just especially, like, a chicken for a giant person to do. It was just a very interesting how he how he pulled it off. Um, he took us to Larry Land in a contract segment. <laughs> yeah, this this was honestly just great, man. It's uh, it, the whole the whole angle. I think this for those that don't know, this is building up to their Saturday night's main event match in February, where they would do the twin referee angle. Andre wins the title. He gives it to DiBiase, and then Jack Tunney rules. The title cannot be bought and, it, you know, just handed over. So they hold up the title leading to WrestleMania 4. What I think is funny is the big allure of WrestleMania 4, besides the, the one-night tournament for the title, was oh, we're going to get to see Hogan-Andre 3 in, at WrestleMania. And it, it didn't, I mean, it happened, but it was only a couple minutes long, and it ended in a double disqualification. So it just kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. The second was definitely better than the match. Yeah. And uh, their match, I, I want to go back and watch Saturday Night's main event with the twin referee angle. And Greg and I will definitely have to review that sometime in the future, or maybe you and I will. But it was uh, a historic thing that uh, definitely needs needs some time and needs covered. But Uncle Dave had to, you know, get his little, I mean, his his Hogan hate goes deep, man. Because here in The Observer, Uncle Dave marvels over the fact that people actually buy into Hulk Hogan's act because he says there's something so dislikable about him. Like, damn, dude. Like, did Hogan, like, sleep with your mom or something? Like, what? what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's still kind of like that Dusty thing where, like, uh, like you know, people... People kind of are uh, maybe envious to the point of just not liking the person on top, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Meltzer just crapped on him from like day one. Like, well, he's not good in the ring. He's just a body guy. And now oh, he's kind of dislikable. It's like, just shut up, man. Like, he's like one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, if not the biggest star. I, I'd, I'd say probably him and Steve Austin. Maybe, maybe The Rock now that The Rock's, you know, went into movies and stuff like that. But, uh, sure. yeah, we're finally here. This is not the main event, oddly enough. But it is a uh, the 20-man Royal Rumble match. That is right. Not 30, 20. And it went for 33 minutes. Bret Hart is number one. Tito Santana is number two. Uh, the number three is the natural Butch Reed. Number four is Jim Neidhart. The heels triple-team Tito, just like they're, uh, when they're all trying to toss Tito, though. Number five, Jake the Snake Roberts comes in, and he tosses Butch Reed before going off on all the heels. Number six is the King, Harley Race, who goes right after Jake, jumping Jim Brunzel, number seven. Number eight is Jake the Snake's brother, Sam Houston. Tito Santana gets eliminated by the Hart Foundation. 
Dangerous Danny Davis is number nine. Number 10 is Boris Zukov. Here's where things get a little weird. Uh, Don Morocco and Nikolai Volkov will run out at the same time and argue over who the number 11 entrant is. I mean, if you were Nikolai Volkov, wouldn't you want him to go before you? Yeah, I didn't get this. Was this a bot? Was this something that I didn't pick up on as far as storyline at the time? But it really seems stupid if it was kind of a bot because it's like no matter what you understand about the rules of the Royal Rumble, you literally just saw like six or seven other guys come out one at a time. So if you saw another person come out with you, you would then know to not do that. Yeah, I guess this was, I mean, this was planned, all of it. So it was, it wasn't a botch, but I think their, their reasoning was they're like, well, it's the first match of its kind. So we're going to make it seem like people don't quite understand all the rules or, you know, whatever. I mean, I can see both sides of why Nikolai would want to come in number 11 and why he wouldn't. Because, if he, you know, since his partner, Boris Zukov, just came in, maybe he'd want to come in and help him. But I don't know. Uh, but Morocco beats Volkov up, and then he slides into the ring, making him the number 11 entrant. Brunzel and Roberts team up to eliminate Zukov, and Morocco eliminates Harley Race. Number 12 is Nikolai Volkov now, finally. Number 13 is Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who the crowd just blows for. A couple notes about Hacksaw. First off, he's wearing his black trunks and the white knee pads, the white boots. So he's in his old, like, Mid-South outfit. Because I'm sure you remember him the same way I do. In WWF, he always wore the blue trunks and the blue boots. I don't Yeah, I'm not too sure about what's going on here. Yeah, he's kind of he's so he's kind of in his old mid mid south outfit, and then this was actually his return from being fired because I don't know if you remember the old incident uh, in I think it was New Jersey where he and the Iron Sheik were traveling together smoking weed and they got sure, pulled yeah. over. Yeah, they got pulled over, and it made big news for multiple reasons because. I mean, at the time, I mean, even now, you can't drive while smoking weed. So it doesn't matter if it's legal or not. So you got, they got busted for, you know, driving under the influence. They got busted for having weed. And Hacksaw was a big babyface, all-American guy. And the Iron Sheik was a big heel, anti-American guy. And they got caught in the news together, which back in 88 was no-go. So Vince fired both of them, and he brought back Hacksaw here. And not to spoil the ending, but this was kind of Hacksaw's like big hurrah. And after this, he didn't really go anywhere. I mean, he was there, and he would do things, but he was never a top guy. And I, yeah, I guess, I mean, rightfully so, rightfully so. I don't, really, I don't really see him at the same level as you know you would a Macho and Andre a Hogan. Yeah, I think according to. Bruce Pritchard, they were looking to have him be like the number two behind Hogan and kind of go around the loop as like, well, he's the other All-American guy and he's our top babyface besides Hogan going around. But after he got fired, then they kind of he kind of fell out of favor after that. So I don't know. I never thought Jim Duggan was ever like all that good. I don't think he ever elicited the same kind of reaction that you would think a top guy would elicit. Yeah, he'd get reactions here and there, especially during this time period. He was pretty over, but I don't know. Through the years, he kind of, nah. 
Okay. More of an entertainer than a in-ring technician, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but he gets into a short scuffle with uh, Harley Race in the aisle. But I say this, but really it was like Harley Race hit him and then walked away. And Duggan kind of like started going after him. And then he like stopped halfway and turned around. was like, USA! Oh! <laughs> He's an idiot. Greg and I talked about this on another show he was on. Uh, I can't remember what the hell. Oh, it was uh, Royal Rumble 90. He did an interview where in the first couple of words, he like got tongue-tied, and then he goes, da, 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 And we're <laughs> like, what the hell is wrong with you? And it's like, as a kid, you're like, ah, cool, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And as an adult, you're like, my God, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I mean, you um, got to like, think about what he did in, uh, in WCW in the 90s. Like, he, had, he came out ugh. like gimmick he had the the wooden board he had the american flag he had the tape fist and all along he was supposed to be a face it's like he's got more weapons than anybody else i know right uh but yeah outlaw ron bass is number 14 of nikolai volkov eliminated jim brunzel number 15 is b brian blair they kept doing this where like the partner would get in right as his his other partner was eliminated <laughs> Hillbilly Jim is number 16, who eliminates Jim the Anvil. Number 17 is Dino Bravo. Sam Houston gets dumped out by Ron Bass. The oh, That elimination was sick, by the way, because he was sitting on Bass's shoulders, and Bass just kind of, like, dumps him out over the top rope. The Ultimate Warrior now is number 18. This was before they really decided to strap a rocket to him. Don Morocco, or The Rock, whatever, eliminates Bret Hart who, as he was the first Iron Man, being in for 25 minutes. One Man Gang now enters number 19 and eliminates B. Brian Blair, and then Jake the Snake. The final entrant, number 20, is the Junkyard Dog, or as Uncle Dave called him, the Junk Food Dog. Duggan dumps out Nikolai Volkov, and One Man Gang tosses Hillbilly Jim. Hacksaw hits his running clothesline to eliminate Danny Davis, who I was shocked was still in there. Right before One Man Gang and Dino Bravo team up to throw out the Ultimate Warrior, Ron Bass tosses Junkyard Dog right before Morocco throws Bass out. Morocco dropkicked Frenchie Martin off the ring apron, and then Dino Bravo holds on to Don, and the One Man Gang runs in and clotheslines Don Morocco outside the ring. The two heels now, it's two heels and Jim Duggan. They team up on Duggan. Dino tries holding on to Duggan, and they try to do that clothesline again, but Duggan moves. Gang clotheslines Dino right over the top rope. I don't know if you noticed that it was kind of funny because he clotheslines him, he bounces into the ropes, doesn't quite get over, so he has to, like, jump himself up over the top rope. Yeah, I definitely saw that. Very obvious. Anyway, finally, Gang runs at or runs right at Duggan. Duggan pulls the top rope down, and one-man Gang flies over the top rope, giving the win to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uncle Dave commented that this was, quote, at least as good as the Dusty Spectacular with better camera work. He thinks it's stupid to have faces and heels teaming up on each other and wishes that they'd focus more on the every man for himself concept. But he also comments, I know, who cares? Uh, Uncle Dave gave this three and a half stars. I that kind of blew me away. I gave it two and a half stars. What say you? Um, I would say, yeah. I'm going to be right around there with you guys, two and three quarter stars. It definitely doesn't hold up to other rumbles. Um, I feel like the modern rumble, isn't it done by uh, Heyman and uh, and Freebird? Uh, what's, oh, man, I'm blinking on his name. Michael Hayes. Uh, 
Michael Hayes. So uh, I guess this is a different Booker than maybe I'm used to with uh, later later Rumbles. Yeah, this one. I mean, for it being the first one, I thought it worked out really well. It was entertaining. Uh, I I mean, I don't really. I I, I kind of laughed a little bit um, with you know, and I see I kind of see Dave's point because they were talking like whenever a heel got in the ring, they were like. You know, when it was like two or three heels, they were like, oh, no, you know, whoever the baby face is, is in trouble now. It's like, why? Like, do, do all the heels instinctively know, oh, we're bad guys. We need to be a team. <laughs> I, I thought that was a little funny. And and every baby face instantly went to save the other baby face. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, even even the uh, the third entrance, Jesse Ventura, like says, like kind of uh, reveals their mentality because he's like, well, who's he going to help? Like, uh. And then Vince McMahon says, who's he going to help? Every man for himself. And then Jesse was like, well, there's obviously going to be alliances, you know. So yeah, kind of revealed their uh, their way of thinking about it backstage. Yeah, I know. I, I did think it was a little weird. And, and the alliance thing I get, because, I mean, we even see that to this day with people teaming up. And it's like, hey, you and you. But it's not like a foregone conclusion where it's like, hey, you're a bad guy. I'm a bad guy. Let's team up on the face. Or, you know, the baby face isn't going to run in and instantly save the other baby face. And, yeah. if, they, and if they do, commentary kind of buries them for it. But uh, fun fact about this Rumble, by the way, 10 entrants, which is half of the people in this Rumble, um, they will never take part in any future Rumble matches. That well, includes, yeah, that includes the Killer Bees, Don Morocco, Butch Reed, Junkyard Dog, Hillbilly Jim, Danny Davis, Boris Zukov, and Sam Houston. Also, Harley Race took part in the 1989 Royal Rumble event, but in a singles match, not in the match itself. Oh, wow. Okay. Damn. Well, I mean, it seemed interesting to hear that stat, but once you start reading off these people, I wasn't shocked about any of them, but, you know, maybe Harley Race. Yeah, most of these most of these people were fired uh, or let go or whatever at the end of this year. So, I mean, most of these guys weren't even around after 88. Uh, but the ones that were, I think Harley Race was one of the only ones that was still around going into 89, and he just wasn't in the match. So, yeah, let's uh, hit this last segment here before we go into the main event itself and wrap the show up. Craig DeGeorge is standing on a platform in the crowd with Hulk Hogan. I It wasn't until recently that I even remembered who the hell Craig DeGeorge was. Craig asks... About uh, his about Hogan's upcoming match against Andre the Giant at uh, Saturday night's main event, Hogan says to be able to beat him, they've got to break the Hulkamaniacs and beat all the Hulkamaniacs, and they won't be able to do it. Then it's Hogan must pose time. They hit the music and all that good stuff, so the crowd gets what they paid for. You could tell who the uh, the money drawer was. They had him out. They made sure to talk about it at the, the beginning. Uh, they made sure to you know throughout pretty much the matches were just things to break up showing Hulk Hogan. Right. I know. It's kind of funny. It was like, it was about the 20 man battle Royal and Hulk Hogan and Andre. That was it. But I mean, that's kind of the way everything was back in the day. Uh, I mean, even Bruce Pritchard said, he's like, well, we kind of knew it's like you, all we had to do was throw Hogan's name on a marquee and the damn place would sell out. Like it didn't matter what the undercard was. He said the guys in the back even said, they're like, well, uh, we want to be on whatever card Hogan's on because they knew they'd get paid more. Yeah, but, he was uh, uh, the pillar that held up the whole tent. That was the uh, WBF circus, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. 
but let's take our second to last break here. When we come back, we're going to get into the main event and the oddly placed segment in the middle of this match. We'll be right back. Follow the main event marks at facebook.com forward slash main event marks pod on Twitter at main event underscore marks and on Instagram at main event underscore marks and at main event collector. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Main event marks are available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Now back to the show. All right, main event time. This was literally like Pritchard said they had this match on there just to make sure they got their time in on on the show. Because he said we weren't sure how long the Rumble match would would take. You know, it was the very first one. So he said we threw in this match as a safety. And we said doesn't matter how long we have at the end of the show. This match goes until the end, period. Well. It was a two out of three falls match to drag it out further, and it was 14 minutes long. <sighs> You'll see why I, I, I sigh here in a second. It was between the Islanders of Haku and Tama and the Young Stallions of Paul, Roma, and Jim Powers. I love the Young Stallions theme, Crank It Up. I never heard it before. Did, have, did, you, uh, did you ever hear this song before? I had not. I, had not. I don't really know too much about Paul Roma except that he was a failed former horseman. Yeah, I know he's been in a million tag teams. Uh, Power and Glory, Young Stallions, pretty wonderful. I uh, just, yeah, so, and uh, and yeah, he was a failed horseman for like a heartbeat. But yeah, if anybody goes, if they if you haven't seen the show, look up the Young Stallions theme. I thought it would, I mean, it had a sound to it. Like, you're like, oh, like, these guys are, are cool. We need to cheer for them. And then that damn bell rang. But anyway, uh, Uncle Dave calls the Young Stallions the Barbie dolls. <laughs> you can kind of see why. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a, uh, I mean, they still try to do this to this day with uh, you know, certain tag teams. You know, I, I think what was that? Uh, Riddick Moss and Tino Sapatelli. Uh, yeah, maybe the installment. Yeah, they these guys were ripped, jacked, and tan, and ready for the main event of Starcade. Oh yeah, they're yeah. They they didn't look much different than one another. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> The first fall goes to the Islanders when Tama, who was the Tonga kid for anybody who doesn't know, he throws Paul Roma over the top rope while Haku pulls the top rope down, and Roma, uh, like nailed the nailed his knee supposedly on uh, like on the apron or tweaked it on the outside, whatever, and he sells the hell out of his knee, man. God, this was the catalyst for the end of the match. Not to spoil it, but yeah, this led to Roma being counted out because he couldn't put any weight on his knee to stand up and get back in the ring. And then we go to commercial break, and when we come back, I guess he's getting checked out in the back. And 
we, <laughs> I said in the middle of this two out of three falls match, we get another interview on the platform in the middle of the crowd with Craig DeGeorge and Teddy DiBiase, Andre the Giant, and Mr. Meat Sauce. Now, DeGeorge asked DiBiase if he was trying to make a statement against Hogan earlier, and DiBiase goes on a rant about Andre laying out Hogan at Saturday night's main event. DiBiase asks Andre how he's going to do it against Hogan, and Andre says he's still undefeated, and he's going to make history with Hogan. DeGeorge starts to talk, and Andre gets mad. like It's like he wasn't done talking yet. And he, like, flings his arm and accidentally punches the George in the gut. (laughs) But uh, I can't understand much else of what Andre is saying, other than he says something about giant Amania. And then he says, we will have a new world champion. And that's the end of it. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant have multiple things in common. You know, rivals (laughs) with Hulk Hogan and incoherent promos. Yeah, the only difference is you could understand the words that worried we're saying you just couldn't understand them in that order yeah with andre you just like the hell did he say i what i mean even when he was in the uh the princess bride i couldn't understand half of his dialogue oh yeah for sure for sure dibiase i feel i put i put him over on every podcast that we talk about him on he's fantastic i don't think he gets enough credit he was a perfect uh, top guy opponent for for hogan at this time i feel yeah, kind of like the uh, he embodied like the, a heel of the '80s, man. You got it. Like when you look back, you gotta you gotta put him right there at the top of that list. His gimmick, his look, and just like how he knew how to act in the ring. I mean, he definitely helped get Hogan over and Ultimate Warrior over. Like he was, um, yeah, like you said, very underrated. Well, and even when you think about like his promos, like when you think about back in the '80s, it came down to you know during his time. You know, you you had people like I mean, Hogan did said some interesting stuff, and Warrior was Warrior. Macho Man had some pretty memorable promos, but I mean, they were all kind of just like you know, baby faces rambling and saying weird things. Whereas DiBiase cut like coherent, great promos, and they weren't scripted. It came down to uh, back in the day, it was like how they got ready for a promo was, hey, got a promo, three minutes, and that was it. By the way, the the table thing earlier, I forgot to mention one thing Pritchard mentioned about that was they they learned because that was like the first like big contract signing they did in the in the ring, and he said after that they kind of learned maybe we should get a a different table because he said that the thing was thick and heavy and actually ended up kind of hurting Hogan. But we get back to this. Uh, we get back to this. Not that he got hurt, but the this the size of the table. Yeah, I know. Like, and the table wasn't very big. It was just like a thick oak table. We get back to this match. Unfortunately, but we got to wrap it up. Paul Roma can barely walk, so Jim Powers tries to take over for his team, but they say, no, 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 the winner and loser from the last fall have to start again. So Roma proves that he's a complete idiot because he starts off in his corner, and when they ring the bell, he doesn't just instantly tag in Powers. No, he's like, no, I'm going to try this. And of course, he gets his ass beat, but he finally tags in Jim Powers. Powers takes over, starts whooping on Haku, but after the Islanders work over Powers for quite a while, for some reason, he tags Roma back in. Instantly go for Roma's leg. Tama hits a top rope splash onto Roma's leg. And then Haku makes him tap out with a half crab to win two straight falls. Uncle Dave gave this two and a half stars. I give it two. What say you? Uh, it was, you know, a nice little solid match. I'm going to go, uh, yeah, I'll go two, two and a quarter, two and a quarter. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I was kind of maybe, I, I, I was surprised that the Rumble match didn't just I guess main event the show while I was watching it, but it was interesting. Now that you explained it, it kind of makes sense that they put this match on last. 
But then you brought up the fact earlier in the show that the Intercontinental title was being defended. And I think that if you want someone that can stall, Honky Tonk Man would be the guy to get. Right. Well, I guess Pritchard said they didn't have it on this card because at the time they weren't planning on the this event. It just kind of happened by happenstance. And they had already booked the other building for the other show. And he's like, uh, well, we need a, we need a match put on, on top. And the way it went back in the day was that they always had two house show tours going on at the same time. And the Intercontinental title would headline one, and the world title would headline the other. For sure. So for sure. That, was, uh, that was a very 80s way of looking at it. But yeah, so they said they wanted this to just be a, a quick ass whooping on the Young Stallions by the Islanders to get the Islanders over. But, you know, they had stall and stretch this crap out. So we got this. This, yeah, was, sure. uh, this was during that time, I guess, the Islanders had kidnapped when the, the, the British Bulldogs used to bring a, an actual English Bulldog to the ring with them for their matches named Matilda, for people that don't know. They actually just came out with a, uh, a Davy Boy Smith uh, Mattel figure that he comes with Matilda. So Matilda, like, uh, I guess it works better if you type it out, but like Mattel, I don't know. That oh, yeah. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Uh, puns, but uh, yeah, they uh, the Islanders had just kidnapped Matilda and insinuated that they were like abusing her and whatever, and they sent him. They sent the dog back to the Bulldogs, kind of like a scare tactic, whatever. You know, be, after being abused, and they had a write-in campaign of "Get Well, Matilda," and huh. the entire reason for all of this was they would write in these "Get Well" letters. Because they were collecting addresses to send out, like, you know, their magazine vouchers or whatever to. Nice little uh, factoid there. If anybody's watching this match, it's like, what the hell is the stuff with Matilda? Like, there you go. I know they used to do things like uh, like ladies could go on dates with wrestlers, but they had to Ugh, send pictures. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> so I wonder how many, uh, how many wrestlers got to, a hold of those things, you know, just hundreds of pictures trying to go on dates so you know this is uh not the first time tactics like that were used yeah well and then they did this also with um with hulk hogan when he got uh squashed by earthquake and tugboat was uh in- encouraging people to well you write in and we'll send you a a, a wristband or whatever you know send your well wishes to the hulkster and, and it was the same thing with that so wwe just abused this tactic back in the day but it worked oh yeah well, we're going to take a, our final break here. When we come back, we'll get into the final ratings of what we thought of the show. And I'll tell you what's coming up on the podcast. Follow the Main Event Marks at Facebook.com forward slash Main Event Marks pod on Twitter at Main Event underscore Marks and on Instagram at Main Event underscore Marks and at Main Event Collector. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work. But it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. 
Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Main event marks are available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Now back to the show. All right, final ratings time. Uh, IMDb actually gave this 6.5 out of 10. Cagematch.net gave it 5.1 out of 10. I gave it 6.5 out of 10. What say you? Two out of 10. Uh, I got to say, it doesn't hold up well match by match as far as the show, but you got to figure this is probably on in the afternoon. You're watching with your family. You're not paying too much attention. I'm going to go like a yeah, seven, seven, two. Yeah, uh, a C, I think, would, you know, it, it would work. You know, a D plus, C minus, somewhere in there. I know uh, Greg always likes to rate based on uh, on letter grades, so I'll kind of go on his scale there. Yeah, it, it, it didn't suck for historic value. It was something to watch, you know. And I mean, besides the Rumble, I'll you know I'll say if you're gonna watch one thing on the show, it should definitely be the Hogan Andre segment, which was just awesome. I think everybody in that segment was great. I mean, Vincent kind of just, or uh, Virgil, whatever, kind of just stood there doing his thing. But Hogan was great. Andre was great. DiBiase was great. Just good stuff. And the ma- the Rumble match itself was just, you know, it was okay. Any any final closing thoughts on this show? I like the, uh, the shorter uh, Rumble, like, I like the shorter big marquee shows uh we've you know in japan they did the g1 this year and it had one uh curtain jerker young lions match and then just had uh five other matches and then we've been reviewing these shows from the 80s and i think especially with this no crowd era and you really wanted to sell one big match i think we should go back to things like this i mean we get less people in the building for uh, safety issues and it would really just uh kind of be just like a nice solid maybe rewatch for people uh, to get those numbers up. So I would implement going back to something more along these lines for this year's Rumble. Like have, you know, your Roman Reigns match, your Rumble match, and then maybe like a Cruiserweight Championship match and an IC title match. You know, just four big matches that kind of uh, set up a good show. Yeah, and uh, things aren't so much seg- like based on like big segments at shows like this anymore. And this one had a big segment because it was on TV and not pay-per-view. Uh, nowadays on pay-per-view you're not going to have big segments like this except at wrestlemania they do sometimes like uh you know that that year with the rock and ronda rousey and and all that mm-hmm. so uh and that kind I mean, of stuff, I think a, a big reason they pulled away from stuff like that was because of the live crowd but i mean there's no live crowd anymore so I think right. uh, like we've seen with like Randy and the Fiend, not necessarily that type of angle, but doing big angles like this is the perfect time to do it because the crowd won't shit on something ridiculous. So uh, you really can kind of uh, spread your wings a little bit, do some segments, especially leading to like uh, WrestleMania. It, it would make a lot, of, a lot of sense. As long as it's not anything like um, uh, we just reviewed not too long ago, uh, Starcade 2000, and between every match there was. You know, people came to the ring before their match cut long promos or, you know, between matches, there'd be something going on in the back. And just like it was it it looked like a nitro that they threw on pay-per-view like that kind of stuff looks amateurish, I think. But if you're going to do something big like this one, the big contract signing, whatever, 
this first Royal Rumble was basically used as a commercial for Saturday night's main event, which was a commercial for WrestleMania four. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we were uh, for anybody uh, that hasn't kind of looking back here by two days. Uh, if anybody hasn't listened to the weekly show yet that dropped on Wednesday, this week we just came out with WWF Royal Rumble 2000, which in my opinion was one of the best Rumbles ever. It's 21 years old now, and uh, I mean, you can catch up with that one. And the very first Rumble that we just reviewed here, you know, getting ready for this year's Rumble, getting the mood for that. And then to close out January next Wednesday, we've got uh, something from the Land of Extreme. We're doing ECW Guilty as Charged 1999. That one was headlined by two of my favorites from ECW's past, Shane Douglas and Taz. And then, Jacob, were you were you a WCW kind of mark back in the day? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Sting, uh, all-time favorite prior to Scorpion Sting. I would say Surfer Sting was definitely, like, my first favorite wrestler. And then, like, yeah, yeah, the whole angle where he went kind of uh, emo or whatever definitely captivated <laughs> me as a kid. That was, my, uh, that was my jam. And especially I also liked, you know, like, the cruiserweight style of wrestling that I've kind of sought out over the years. And that was my first kind of introduction to it. So I would definitely say I was WCW over uh, WWE looking back, even though I did watch both raw nitro, everything. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was more WWF only because uh, that's what my dad watched all the time. And, you know, he kind of started me out in that. So uh, I, I watched a little bit of WCW, but nowhere near as much as I kind of wish I would have. But being a WCW fan, you know what February means, right? Let's see here. Uh, what is it? I'm not sure. What does February mean? Super Brawl Month. Oh, okay. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I was going to say Super Brawl. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, February, uh, we are covering two Super Brawls, actually. Uh, Super Brawl took place most of the time. They, they did quite a few out in the San Francisco area. So Greg attended, I think, three or four different Super Brawls uh, because of that, because they were all in his area. So we are covering two different Super Brawls in the month of February, along with throwing in some WWE and even some TNA that month. So look out for that. But yeah, like I said, next week, uh, January 27th, we are closing the month of January out, getting into 2021 with ECW's Guilty as Charged 1990. And Jacob, I am not looking too forward here on the schedule, but I would like to have you on the show again soon. And uh, maybe we can get you on one of the Wednesday episodes instead of a, just a bonus moving forward. Yeah, uh, yeah hit me up, man. I would, uh, I would love to uh, jump on as much as you'll have me. All right. Well, uh, glad you could be here with me today. Uh, schedules got a little wonky at times, but it all worked out. And one more time, Main Event Marks is sponsored by Fubo and Fanatics. If you're a real sports fan, you're going to want to click on the links down in the podcast description. And don't forget to check us out every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern, right when AEW Dynamite starts on the East Coast on unhingedsn.com. And of course, we drop that new episode on our podcast feeds the same day. And uh, real quick, plug, plug all your stuff one more time before we sign off. Yeah, guys, you can uh, hit me up on Twitter at JG Pro Wrestling, and then you can find links to my podcast, Curtain Jerkin, 
uh, on WrestlingWithWrestling.com and the Dragon Suplex Podcasting Network. Awesome. And we will see you all next Wednesday, later on. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.